electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber and Mike Santoli. Kramer's got the morning off. Coming off the best week of the year, markets get a new batch of high-profile earnings this week. Uh, Disney, Uber, Peloton, Coke got some M&A in the mix this morning with airlines. And the 10-year gets to 193. CPI is on deck Thursday. Our roadmap begins with Peloton. Shares are soaring on these reports of potential takeover talks. Plus a big budget merger to create a giant ultra-low-cost airline frontier group buying Spirit. It's about a $2.9 billion total equity price deal. And Spotify shares lower ahead of the open. CEO Daniel Ek condemning Joe Rogan's use of racial slurs, but says the company won't be silencing his podcast. We're going to start, though, with the markets. Obviously a volatile week for stocks last week, Mike, but as you pointed out on Squawk this morning, been some bends in the road from uh, point to point, as you said. Yeah, um, I mean, it really was just very whippy, air pockets all over the place, individual stocks. The overall market was uh, in more than a 1% range each day, uh, the S&P 500 last week. I mean, part of it uh, maybe isn't more complicated than what we're seeing in terms of uh, this cyclical shift uh, from very fast growth to something lower, obviously Fed tightening is getting pricing, and just the move in global bond yields. Everyone is now kind of Ooing and eyeing over the shape of the charts of European bond yields, um, kind of cracking above zero uh, pretty decisively and all the rest. And, of course, the U.S., two-year note, after that jobs number on Friday, got to like 133, 134. The 10-year was at that level two months ago. So that's how quickly the bond markets repriced for several rate hikes. And, you know, we can still talk about, is that too many? Is that not enough? Is the Fed going to look to surprise the market or not? That is so far been absorbed. I mean, it's not been comfortably absorbed because you have had a lot of uh, kind of wear and tear in the market along the way. But um, another piece of that, though, is bonds are down in terms of their value on the year. So bonds and stocks down together. We've talked about this possibility for a long time. It used to be the way it went, you know, in the 80s and 90s largely. But now bonds are not kind of giving you that offset. Uh, to declining equity prices very much. They're not a volatility dampener. And I think that helps explain some of the jumpiness in the market. It helps explain why you're no longer as bold in buying dips and raising your equity exposure because you're down on both if, in fact, you run some kind of a balanced strategy like that. But, I mean, we are coming off what was an extraordinary week. I mean, some of the damage that oh, yeah. was done. Uh, and obviously, we've yeah. been talking about it for weeks now, of course, with the high multiple, uh, you know, hyper growth, low profit names. But last week, they got to, well, obviously, Meta was the key. It's yeah. down 30% for the year, let's call it. PayPal, we've seen what happened there. Yep. And then we had that crazy reversal in Snap and the Amazon number at the end of the week. I mean, I don't know what or how it positions us for this week. We don't have as many, obviously, important earnings after also Alphabet, I forgot, last week and yeah. Apple. But um, but it's hard to tell right now. A lot of pain. I mean, you know, I talked to a lot of guys who run hedge funds. They're down double digits, Absolutely. a lot of them. It's a big part of it. Um, so performance-oriented investors like hedge funds are in an immediate hole in January. Um, 
they were pretty crowded in some of those stocks. They were. They um, were. In some of the kind of you never have to sell them because the business model is so good. And I do think there's something that is just such a statistical outlier or just a jarring situation when a $800 billion company goes down 20-something percent in a day. So you didn't really see that as a possibility. What does that mean for the rest of the stocks you own? You have to at least account for the idea that maybe they could have these, these mega moves. Well, although B of A did some work over the weekend and they were looking just at TMT, but if you take out Facebook and Amazon yeah. and Netflix and Spot, um, the majority, they argue, of TMT names yeah. on earnings, the realized vol was not did not surpass the implied vol. Right. So, yeah, if you look at Alphabet, if you look at Microsoft, yeah, they, they've kind of held together. But there has been this splintering out of, of kind of a harsh calling of winners versus losers. That's, that's the only thing. And, again, I'm not saying it's abnormal. I know a lot of people are looking at kind of really thin liquidity conditions in things like S&P futures. And so that kind of explains a little bit of this intraday uh, jumpiness in the market. And, uh, you know, there's a general stress situation when we're talking about, you know, getting ready for tightening and volatility levels consistently being high for weeks on end. Uh, B of A also over the weekend. Of course, they've been calling for seven hikes this year and their year-end targets, 4,600. Yeah. How do you get both? <laughs> they argue that leverage is nowhere near what we saw in the great financial crisis. Banks better capitalized yeah. than ever. Uh, you got 19 trillion in cash between corporates and households. That's up 35 from 19. Right. That, in their words, hikes are not going to hurt for a while. Yeah, they're not going to hurt, I guess, in a systemic way, in an aggregate way. Household balance sheets, corporate balance sheets, they're in decent shape. You are seeing a little bit of raggedness in corporate credit. Not much, but you're seeing spreads widen out just a little bit. I think triple B yields are now above 3%, right? So you could say, that's a huge move. They were below 2%, we remember, and, or around 2 And now, uh, you know, we have to sort of say 3 is low, but, you know, People get lost on the wayside along the way toward we're going to be okay ultimately. I think that's what it, that's the key. It's that it's a little more of a of a selective market. Um, financials and energy still doing fine this year. Um, certain certain areas of the market are not going to be dinged up by by rate hikes, and you know it's only going to get us up to one and three quarters percent. So on an absolute basis, even if you get the seven, uh, which I don't think is a foregone conclusion, you know, in, in theory it's manageable. Hikes. Over the over the that's every meeting. Every over, meeting. Yeah, every you have meeting, every right? meeting. You have seven more meetings this year. So between March and December, it would mean right. a hike per meet, a quarter point per meeting. Yeah. There is a school of thought that if credit really gets hairy, in the words of some, yeah. that you start looking away from REITs and away from leveraged companies and sure. back to software, where free cash flow is positive and they've got two years of revenue visibility and they have little to no debt. Maybe. That's the interesting piece of it, is because they, the, FANG became FANG in part because it was defensive, and it's in part because you can sort of just predict those businesses. So yeah, that's, that's something we'll have to see. I mean, of course, it's always like, yeah, maybe they'll rotate back there. At, from, at what price? You know, and, and, and you know, is, is the damage already fully done there? But to your point, Carl, you can't underestimate the amount of money that has moved from high net worth individuals, for example, into these REIT products. B-REIT I've talked about a lot at Blackstone, something that's guarantee, guaranteeing, something that may pay 4 or 5% in an environment in which, of course, rates are next to zero. That's been very attractive. But you do wonder if those flows will slow in a significant way. And to, to a degree, what you're really worried about is just the velocity of the moves in fixed income. That's why everyone is posting these charts of the German yield, uh, just on the, the idea that some accident happens, that somebody gets caught offside, some leverage player, and then all of a sudden it becomes much more of a market 
uh, wide issue as opposed to just, oh, we have to reprice a little bit. I mean, it's much more dramatic to say trillions of dollars have gone from negative to positive yields than to say German yields are up 30 basis points, <laughs> you know, which is what they are. <laughs> Although a lot of people are happy to see negative yield go away. Absolutely. All the, all yeah. the disruptions and strange things that happen as a result. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of strange things happening, let's get to shares of Peloton. They're uh, going to be up uh, most likely when we start trading 23 minutes from now. This in reaction to published reports in a variety of different places saying, well, you, take your pick, really. You, know, you want Amazon as the buyer, maybe Nike, Apple. I don't know. All of them said to be mulling possible bids for the company. The journal started us off uh, with this on Friday, and it did send the stock up dramatically at that point. I believe it was already after hours. I haven't picked up anything. Doesn't mean it's not out there. Obviously, the journal reporting it uh, at this point. Although it does seem a little odd. Just to, pro, uh, to remind people, there is an activist in there, uh, but more importantly, uh, Foley, the guy who runs the company, he, he controls it too. It's, uh, you know, B shares 20 to 1. Uh, so you've got a controlled company here. So you can't really get much done, A, as an activist, or B, even as a as a potential bidder if you really were there. Uh, uh, at this point, unclear to me what there really means or is or whether there might be some interest. Don't forget, this is a company, where was that done? It, it was 16th of November, I come back to it a lot, that sold over a billion dollars worth of stock at 46. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, by the way, they haven't been making any money since then either. And they said weeks or days before we don't need that money and then they raised it. But here we are, potentially trading as high as 31. I mean, when you go look at it, Mike, it is a complete up and back yep. all the way below the IPO price, I believe. Yeah. So from, you know, we peaked at 160. Uh, right. So it's like kind of 20 to 160 back to the 20s and now popping above 30. I just can't get to the point of the psychology of, of Peloton management as a potential seller at these levels. I mean, what kind of a premium would you have to do to say, fine, you know, that, that kind of compensates us for, to get us back to a place we were six months ago yeah. when the stock was four times what it was now. It, uh, it's, it's very tough, especially, I mean, CEO has sold a bunch of stock higher. Uh, you know that, that people have gotten stock-based comp at higher levels. It just seems as if why now would be the time that you would pull the trigger if, in fact, you can't be forced into play. The truest would argue that uh, they used to trade at 1.7 times EV sales. Down, or now, they used to yeah. trade 11.3. Yeah. Now trading 1.7, and they use Mirror, Lulu's acquisition, yeah. as a proxy, which was uh, acquired at five times 2022 sale. I guess the point is it's gotten cheap. If, 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 I don't know whether you consider Mirror back then a different kind of story, given where we were with COVID and all of that. It, you know, all true. Uh, it's obviously a lot cheaper than it was, but it also has a lot more questions in terms of its overall business model right now. Uh, and to Mike's point, it's just when a, when a stock has moved like this to sell off the absolute low, even if you were to get a significant premium, it's a kind of a difficult thing to do. And it's very much unclear. I haven't spoken to Foley that he's a willing seller at this right. point in any way. But clearly there's something behind this. Something's trying to get somebody's trying to get something going. Uh, you know, as again, you got this activist. I, I wasn't familiar with them in there. I'm clear exactly what they're trying to achieve. And maybe it does point to this fact that the stock did get somewhat Look, cheap. Right. And and it certainly could be the case that if you are Amazon, Nike, Apple, it's almost your responsibility to consider the, the yes. prospect of, oh, it's only $8 billion. I mean, we could pay a big premium. It's not a big bite for us. Does it get us anywhere strategically that we want to go anyway? So you can have those conversations and not yet really have the makings of 
a two-sided you know, deal process. Here's Dan Ives, who we're going to yeah. talk to in the next hour. Basically says it would be a huge strategic coup for Apple, raises the possibility that Disney could I, start to move I, in I, with I a defensive. One, I, I don't mean to laugh at it, but... Well, you can laugh, because <laughs> what? Um, uh, by the way, how long did it take Alphabet to buy Fitbit? Forever? Right. I mean, I, you know, on the, right. on the regulatory front, if it's Amazon or Apple... Even if you could say, I don't see any competitive issues here. They're, Amazon's still trying to finish that deal to acquire MGM. They got second requests. De- I mean, it's very hard to imagine these mega companies. Obviously, we look at Microsoft and what the market at least thinks in terms of how long it's going to take for it to complete that acquisition of Activision. It doesn't matter what the deal is. Uh, it's going to take a long time if you're Apple or Amazon. Nike, perhaps, is a different story. Sure. Well, there is uh, other M&A news involving a pair of discount airlines this morning. Frontier and Spirit agreeing to merge. Phil LeBeau joins us now with the details on that one. Hey, Phil. Mike, it's been six years since we've had an airline merger here in the U.S., but Frontier and Spirit are hoping to close this deal in the second half of this year. Here is the agreement that they announced uh, this morning. The company's name, the CEO, the headquarters, that still needs to be determined. But at this point, they're saying this is a $6.6 billion transaction with Frontier controlling 51.5% of the merged airline, Spirit getting 48.5%. How does this work out for Spirit shareholders? They will get 1.9 Frontier shares plus $2.13 per Spirit share as part of this agreement. And that's why when you take a look at the uh, stocks this morning, Spirit up 13%, Frontier down uh, a little over 1.5%. This is an interesting deal that a lot of people will look at and say, well, does it make sense? CEO of Spirit this morning said, yeah, this makes a ton of sense. We get asked that question or will be asked that question, why now? And the the answer I'd like to give is why not? I mean, this is a really fantastic combination. As Barry just said, we think it's extremely complimentary. Uh, There's going to be a lot of value to deliver to the consumers. This is not a regular airline merger. This is a completely different thing where you've got two low-cost leaders getting together to figure out ways to drive more growth. And it's going to be extremely beneficial to a lot of constituents. And for that reason, we're very, very excited about getting this thing across the goal line. If regulators sign off on this agreement, you would have the fifth largest airline in the U.S. being Frontier Spirit. They'd have a little over 5.4% of the market. We're using 2019 data, mainly because the last couple of years, it's all over the place in terms of what's been happening with revenue passenger miles. And again, a lot of people will point to the fact that you have three out of every four flights in this country controlled by the big four. Spirit and Frontier say, look, we bring down prices. And that's why when you take a look at shares of these two stocks, that is going to be the question for regulators. Is this a deal that helps consumers? They clearly believe it is, they being Spirit and Frontier guys, but that will be the question for regulators. Does this hurt competition, or is this a case where these two really don't dominate any one market? There is some overlap, but there's plenty of competition out there, and that's going to be the argument from Spirit and Frontier. Their other argument, Phil, is that if you believe corporate travel is going to lag leisure, uh, this is your play because they're heavily in leisure. It also sounds like they're heavy Airbus over Boeing. They're an all-Airbus fleet. That's why this deal makes sense. Look, Bill Frankie from Indigo Partners, back in the day, 2006 to 2013, what did Indigo Partners own? Spirit. They sold Spirit. They bought Frontier. Now they're putting them together. Bill Frankie has thought this through, and they've been talking for almost a year about putting this combination uh, together with Frontier and Spirit. 
Uh, fascinating, uh, Phil. We love airline uh, M&A. Always fun. Uh, Phil Lebeau this morning. When we come back, we'll dive into Spotify, the Joe Rogan controversy evolving yet again. The CEO apologizing to employees, but says he will not cancel the podcaster. Take a look at the pre-market here. Busy week, as we said, with a bunch of earnings names and the all-important, this time they really mean it, CPI on Thursday. We're back in a moment. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Spotify is down in the pre-market. CEO Daniel Eck telling employees in a memo he is, quote, deeply sorry about how the Joe Rogan podcast controversy is affecting them. This after a compilation video of Rogan using racial slurs made the rounds on social media. Eck adds he will not pull Rogan from Spotify, saying, quote, while I strongly condemn what Joe has said and I agree with his decision to remove past episodes from our platform, I realize some will want more. And I want to make one point very clear. I do not believe silencing Joe is the answer. His argument, David, is that uh, canceling, as, as Eck put it, is a slippery slope. Yeah, uh, and he made the same point when we had him on last week, uh, obviously talking about earnings. The stock, by the way, not responding particularly uh, well to those earnings uh, as well. It can take a listen to what Eck had to say for himself when he did join us after earnings uh, late last week. I think the big balancing act that we're trying to do uh, as a company that's just critical is balancing creative expression with, of course, the one about the safety of our users. And that's also why we uh, published this weekend our policies and uh, really for the first time did that. And that's probably on our half something we should have done earlier, and that's on me. Uh, but we have them out there now so that everyone can look at these policies and understand what goes on our platform. You know, a lot of the podcasting, of course, is done in order to get margins higher. Remember, this is a company that in 2018 promised that, event, uh, that a longer term it would have margins in the 30s. It's not there yet. Uh, Mike, and it's difficult to imagine the music business where they're paying out roughly 70% of revenues to the companies that provide that music to them um, is going to get them there. Uh, so yeah. podcasting is the way to get to this promise, which they have yet to actually fulfill of plus 30%. Yeah, the, the original uh, or exclusive content is the only way out of that commoditization trap. And, and it's really, uh, I mean, it's a reminder that the business model hasn't really 
proven out uh, to the to date right now, just in terms of uh, you know profitability. And you mentioned the margins, and you know that stock has a very similar pandemic round trip look to it as uh, as a lot of the other ones. Uh, you know, kind of doubling and then having uh, mm-hmm. again over the last two years. What are we calling them? A, a round trip? What did, wait, what did you just say? It's got a round trip. Uh, uh, like, I a guess round a trip pan- pandemic, pandemic round look trip to it. Yeah. yeah, round trip yeah. pandemic to look. Pre- I like that. Pre-COVID yeah. levels. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so Zoom has got that. Obviously. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have thought Spotify necessarily no, though either. should be in that I bucket. Either. Um, and, and you wouldn't necessarily have thought like a PayPal would either. Right. Even though because it was obviously a mature business before that, and it's not, it wasn't purely about. But it was just a front loading of, of demand, I guess, and excitement. It was front loading of. So many people rushed into the market. The market did so well. There was a lot of aggressive flow, and at least that was working in the pandemic, right? It was someplace that still uh, didn't have its, its business upended. Meanwhile, the number of podcasts on Spotify, Q419, uh, looks like about 500, 600,000. It's above 3.5 million now. Amazing. And Daniel's talking about 50 million creators at some point in the future. I don't even, so, so who's, yeah, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't understand. How do you mark, I don't I don't, I don't 50 <laughs> You're million. You're literally throwing up your hands. Yeah. Yeah. 50 million podcasters, so, okay. I mean, I saw I that mean, the other day and I want, and I had trouble understanding what a creator was. Right. was like, is but it's that also like, how many or? creators are there on YouTube? Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in the top five, Garner, you know, get most of the 50% of the, of it right, right. So I think that's, you know, where, where, where the analogy was. Meanwhile, stock looking down yet again after a hard uh, after a hard day on Friday. Yeah. We do have got some upgrades to talk about this morning. Morgan Stanley on Snowflake, uh, one of uh, Taiwan Semi, got a street high of Bank of America. We'll get to all of that and the opening bell after a break. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. I live by routines. Especially my same-day delivery routine was shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com. Been a lot of talk about the inflation's effects on consumer names. Tyson, though, up 8.5% as margins nearly double year on year. Uh, they do guide above the street. We'll take a look at that and what it means for the future of the consumer in a bit. Opening bell in about five minutes. Alibaba share is falling in the pre-market, according to Barron's. Some analysts are saying SoftBank may be about to sell a large stake in the company. On Friday, Alibaba filed with the SEC to register an additional 1 billion American depository shares, which could allow a key shareholder to sell its stake in the U.S. market more easily. David, you watching this one? Or what? Yeah, I am. I mean, a number of people pointed to it this morning. I think City is one of the key analysts saying it may sell. The stock is going to be down. Listen, Alibaba's, they own 25% at SoftBank. Um, and SoftBank has been suffering not just because of, the, uh, because of the losses incurred as a result of losses, I shouldn't say that, 
it's a huge gain for SoftBank. Yeah. It's one of the greatest investments of all time. But the value has come down sharply in Alibaba. That has affected SoftBank, not to mention the crackdown in China overall, because they have, remember, through the Vision Fund, so many different ownership stakes, both in private and some public companies as well, uh, that are technology-related in China, have been hit as a result of, uh, of, of Xi's crackdown in certain areas of technology. So you can see what's happened to SoftBank shares. Is it a surprise they might be looking to monetize some of the stake? No. Is it hard to imagine they would sell that much of it? Perhaps. So we'll see um, what they choose to do. But again, it is by far the largest single shareholder of Alibaba at 25%. Yeah. And as I said, one of the greatest investments, of course, of all time, Masa Sun made sure. there many years ago uh, in buying that stock. Yeah. Um Obviously, it's at least, if nothing else, kind of a shadow psychological overhang on the stock, although the shares have not necessarily thrived because SoftBank was there as the, you know, as the secure holder. Uh, but yes, it's certainly something that probably is an extra little thing that's going to be in everybody's mind. Uh, you, know, with the, you know, it's a heavily traded stock, but a billion shares are not. Keep an eye on that. Uh, there's the opening bell here at the CNBC Real-Time Exchange at the big board. It is Anheuser-Busch. Looking ahead to this weekend's Super Bowl on NBC, of course, this Sunday at the NASDAQ Synaptics, a developer of human interface hardware and software, celebrating its 20th listing anniversary. Speaking of SoftBank, um, Uber will be a name to watch this week as uh, we're going to get earnings uh, later in the week. And, and amid the general reopening, guys, um, you've got New Jersey this morning reports they're going to drop the mask mandate in schools. At least four financials are returning to office in the coming weeks. Amex, Goldman, City, yeah. uh, Bank of New York Mellon. And the number of cases in the U.S. is 70 percent off the January peak. Yes. And combined with, um, you know, Friday's jobs number, yes, jacked by seasonal adjustments and all the rest of it, uh, it really did kind of drive home the point that a lot of economists have been saying for a while is that, you know, each wave has had a diminished economic impact, and this one in particular because people were so confident it was going to be relatively sharp and brief. Uh, we're seeing the other side of it. Um, obviously, you know, you never know what comes next, but it does seem as if you have a little bit of a, a few-month window for this reacceleration of the consumer economy because there was a hiccup. There absolutely was a hiccup in spending, in travel. We've seen it all. And, uh, and so market likes when it can look ahead. <laughs> to a revival of that type of activity. Although you got to mention a uh, fun strat. Tom Lee's doing yeah. a lot of high frequency work on COVID cases. Uh, says this is not a forecast, but if you look at the average duration from variant to variant, it's about 140 days, yes. which would put you somewhere in April where a new variant <laughs> Don't give me that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Just... April's also the month, by the way, um, where Paxlovid, at least, is expected to become more widely available. Yeah, the so Pfizer, the Pfizer antiviral uh, that we haven't talked about as much because there hasn't been as much of it. Of course, Merck's Molnupiravir also available in the data that was available. Obviously, did not show the same level of efficacy as Paxlovid. But to your point, Carl, there hasn't been as much out there. By April, if there is another variant, hopefully there'll be a lot of that out there. Although there are some uh, some issues with Paxlovid as well in terms of mutations. I don't even want to get into it. Um, I take I'm it, not by expecting the way. another variant. We're done. We're done. I, that's it. I yeah. take yeah. it. Glad that's over. Yeah, isn't it good? Yeah, I yeah, know. I have the expertise to be able to tell you that. <laughs> well, I actually take it as a little bit of a, of a positive in a, in a backdoor way that Fundstrat is taking that approach because Fundstrat's been serially optimistic about getting past COVID and how the markets were going to be fine with it and all the rest of it. So if they're kind of 
you know, <laughs> thrice bitten, four times shy, or whatever it is, then maybe we're not going to be jarred by anything that comes along. Hopefully. Although, so. I mean, some there was an article today about deer. They're the next vector we got to worry about. Deer, all, the animal. Yeah, or deer, deer, the John animal. Deer. Thirty million oh. deer. They all they all got COVID, and now it could go back to them, and then it can <laughs> come ticks. back to us. Yeah. I, I, you know. Meanwhile, in New Jersey, they're going to get to take their masks off in school. So that's a yeah. potentially a good yeah. thing. Actually, a very big deal. And, uh, you know, Australia reopening borders for the first time in a yeah. couple of years. Um, and you look at some of the societal pressures in Canada and Ottawa yeah. and Rotterdam this morning where people are like, enough. And the argument goes that if you're going to maintain public health policy, you're going to want to give people back, give them a little sugar for the next time you want to feed them their vegetables. Yeah, I mean, Scott Gottlieb, who I continue to listen to very closely on Squawk Box this morning, just again calling out the CDC for being late so often in terms of and not moving quickly enough, of course, to respond. Uh, and the fact that these policies have stayed in place for now what has been years when really they should have been used as mitigation efforts around certain key times. Um, or events. Or events. Yeah. By the way, along I mean, the, those lines, you're going to mention the reopening I was just shots. like, yeah. it's the whole, whole, whole green screen is Southwest, Caesars, exactly. and the rest. And the cruise lines. Yeah. yeah. So it, that's, that's kind of the reflex when, when people are feeling optimistic about being able to do more stuff is, uh, is those. Plus, you, know, you mentioned Tyson. Uh, it, it has opened higher. It's best performer in the, uh, the S&P, up almost 10% on that margin story. But you have to imagine... Uh, they're not going to be popular politically for that because all of a sudden we're talking about companies taking advantage of price increases and, and actually supermarket, you know, meat and grocery items are the, the big focus. This, this was a discussion this morning uh, on Twitter, at least. How did they do it when Clorox margins were crushed the opposite direction in their quarter year on year? I, I saw um, average beef price out of Tyson up 31.7. Yeah. How much of that is actual gravy? And just keeping so up. So to speak. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, right, right. Yeah, no, it, it, it's a good question. I mean, I don't know. In terms of the Clorox stuff, it's, it's totally unclear. I know that, you know, that when packaging is a big part of the expense, that usually is what hurts uh, Clorox. Plus, you know, the demand is not as elastic pr pr probably after months of hoarding and, uh, and all the rest. did want to come back to Amazon, of course, which was a feature on uh, Friday. Uh, one of the largest market cap accretions we've seen in a very long period of time. Uh, uh, with the stock up dramatically after earnings were better than anticipated. Um, and it's adding a little bit today. There was also something as the day went on that uh, once people got a chance to read the actual filing, the earnings report filing, the queue, um, about stock buybacks that surprised some people. Namely, that this is a company that authorized the $5 billion repurchase plan in 2016, but did not buy any stock in 2019. 2020 or 2021. However, it bought $1.3 billion worth of shares back in a month from the beginning of January to February 2nd. You can see it right there. This went around on Friday. I saw it sort of uh, midday. Somebody texted it to me. Uh, but it may be another reason why there was a, a little more uh, momentum there in terms of the sustainability of that rally. A number of people pointed to that, Mike, as a real positive, given they had not been in the market for so long. Sure. Um, you know, it's it's a tiny piece of, of market cap, tiny, of course. Tiny, nobody yes. nobody is talking about it really. You know, being a huge no. swing swing factor for value. But in terms of the orientation of capital allocation within the company, uh, it does mean a lot. I mean, look, uh, Alphabet went from very little or nothing to a pretty aggressive buyback. You know, Meta has a decent sized one too, which is now bigger relative to its market cap than it was before last week. Uh, so I do think that the the street wants to see this. 
and it no longer takes it as a signal that there's some kind of mature phase of these, you know, companies growth pass or something like that. It just seems like, look, mitigate the increase in the share count. Yeah, it could be could be a help for everyone. Um, and people are pointing to it. I mean, again, I'm seeing some research here now. Um, it was the first time in 10 years that they had bought back stock, yeah. which is a, a long time to go without doing that. Uh, and there is some analysis that's been done that indicates that uh, Amazon stock does quite well when they have bought back stock. Of course, you got to go back a very long time to even look at that period of time, given, again, it has been uh, 10 years since they bought any uh, stock back uh, as, of course, the largest e-commerce retailer in the world by far. We mentioned yeah. their their CapEx numbers, or their CapEx guidance last week. Yes. A nice chart out of B of A this morning. Reported CapEx tracking up 18 year on year and up 19 versus Q4 of 19. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of corporate cash. And B of A's view is that it's going to go actually into CapEx more than buybacks. Yeah, at least incrementally, certainly. I think that's, that's probably correct. Buybacks, I mean, they're going to be heavy. Um, the market's up a lot, so maybe it's not going to matter as much as when we did 800 billion, in a, you know, in, uh, a few years ago in, in 2018. But yeah, it does. Uh, it, it is going to make a big difference. Capex, a business-to-business cycle, is, is a story that's getting going right now. Um, we'll see if that, you know, if that really comes through sector-wise. I mean, software's, you know, that was a big story for a long time too. That really Capex is, so- is software spending. Um, we'll see. By the way, that Morgan Stanley upgraded Snowflake this morning was interesting. I thought. Um, you know, stock is up, uh, what, 6% or something like that, 7%. And what's fascinating is, I mean, nobody really denies the, the growth, the fact that, you know, customer, uh, you know, uptake is amazing. But they use this thing called a rule of 40. I don't know if you saw this. That they, I don't know if they created it. It's, it's uh, revenue growth plus free cash flow margin. So it's basically when it's a long way before you're going to be seeing earnings and, and appreciable free cash flow. It's saying, here's how fast they're growing, and here's kind of how profitable they'll be eventually. And the, the upgrade was sort of like, well, we initiated coverage in 2020. We thought they were going to be here in, at a certain point in 2030, and now we think they'll get there earlier. And so, you know, it's still a little bit of 2020 math right. in terms of, you know, buying this very expensive stock yep. uh, at this level. But it is down a lot. And, uh, and, they, and they still have had the growth. And if you look at the other similar names, Datadog, things like that, yep. it, it looks relatively attractive. If, if Jim were here, Carly would be talking about Sloopman, sleeping sure. on his couch and all the other stuff. And no yeah. question. Yeah. And by the way, uh, it's the third upgrade for Snow in the last couple of weeks by my count. I saw Piper and Loop uh, last couple of weeks today, of course, as Mike said, Morgan Stanley. They did say significant free, cla- free cash generations within reach. Yeah. Um, they also upgrade Taiwan Semi. Um, trying to look past the 2022 down cycle on semi today numbers by the way revenue ahead guides above yeah um, there's a sense that the the, uh, the chips the chip story which is another big capex play absolutely uh, is getting better yeah. it, it's getting better it's it's held up relatively well but you know in that final kind of flush lower into the January 24th low it, it finally those stocks did get hit and you know some of them look a little better position than others I think Texas instruments looks a little touch and go in terms of you know, it's it's stock performance and end markets, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's definitely uh, in an area where the long-term thesis has not really been challenged very much. Yeah. Uh, um, one thing we haven't seen much of this year are IPOs. Uh, certainly not to any extent that we did last year, of course, which was an amazing year for them, given the performance that many of them had. Of course, also so many SPACs. 
which I don't think we're going to see many more of uh, going public as well. I mentioned that because take a look at shares of Hertz Global, uh, HTZ. We talked about it briefly on Friday because they appointed a new uh, CEO. Uh, Steve Scherr is going to take over, former CFO of Goldman Sachs, uh, for interim CEO Mark Fields, who's been running that company. But today, uh, a lockup expires, and there's a $3 million, a $3 million share excuse me, block out there. Not a huge dollar amount, you can see it. But what's notable is, remember, Hertz had this crazy story, if you remember, the summer of 2020, when it went bankrupt, but then it was going to actually, or it was in a position to be able to raise money because of that strange mania around its stock for a brief time. Probably should have. The SEC kiboshed it. They went through the bankruptcy, came out with a big equity recovery value, then went public at 29. That was only November. Uh, But there are holders now who are happy to get out as insiders uh, now. Um, even though it's down, what, from 29, so it's down 50% almost uh, in that amount of time. And uh, so we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, Again, these are secondaries. These are not sales by the company raising any capital for the company. Uh, But you do have a 3 million share block out there. I think Goldman's selling that and a few others as well, Mike, to keep a, a close eye. And again, when these lockups expire, yeah. that's an important time. And, and a day when uh, the reopening stocks are up and Avis is up a couple of percent. So clearly it's the, it's the lockup expiration that is uh, seemingly weighing uh, on things right there. I was just looking at the, the biggest drivers of the, uh, of the S&P to the upside is Amazon, Tesla, Apple, NVIDIA, Microsoft, PayPal, right? So it's the old mega cap growth uh, fang type stuff. But, you know, again, conspicuously absent is Meta. Um, so it's not really been um, a, a very kind of active by the dip instinct here. The stock has settled in the 230, so it's not as if it's, it's free fall every day. But I think it's a, a bit of a measure of, of how it was a little bit crowded. I've had this complete kind of, you know, rethink of the, uh, of, of the longer term profitability and the fact that they had user growth decline. But as many are going to point out, once you get one of those big 20 percent uh, air pockets in a stock like this, and obviously, there's earnings support. Obviously, it's not trading at a discount to the S&P 500. We'll see how this year's earnings uh, forecast play through. Um, you know, you, you think it can have this sort of rehabilitation period over a certain period of time. So we'll see uh, if that does develop here. But it's had a hard time, you know, getting much traction even after that drop. Yeah. Well, we've been wondering uh, what, what will be the initial evidence of that. Is it a resumption in yeah. Daily average user growth, or is it something completely related new, to new growth categories? Or is, we used to talk about 320 as the floor yeah. of the shares. No, absolutely. Um, or is it something that you know people have to get a little more comfort on what that spend is on these new ventures um, in terms of meta? Not even, people aren't even sure where the billions are going. I mean, to me, I would assume the company is just saying we're spending this much in aggregate. We consider these parts of our business and all this hiring to be about stuff that's not just running our existing platform and products. Therefore, we're calling that the investment in the new stuff. I don't yeah. know, but that's part of what's happening as opposed to just you know buying tons of servers and, and, and you know, R&D on the new goggles or something. Yeah, no, what it really is is a lot of software engineers. Absolutely. That's what that's what the main cost is, yeah. um, my understanding at least. Sure. Of yeah. that $10 billion last year and whatever the number is going to be this year and next year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, building the metaverse is not just about servers. It's about a lot of people programming, a lot. For sure, yeah. And, and the question is, can you get people to buy into the idea that it's not just kind of, you know, a shotgun approach, and, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll see what's there. Uh, you mentioned Fang. Of course, Netflix is also worth mentioning because it's not yeah. moving much of anywhere. Uh, Carl, you had Laura Martin on, I think, last week on <laughs> Tech Check. She didn't like this stock. Um, and they did a survey at Needham uh, 
of 504 U.S. Netflix, Netflix users, only 50% of U.S. subs are happier with the content now versus a year ago. She says the survey showed, despite Netflix's strongest content slate ever. Um, but the conclusion is what's kind of interesting, is that Netflix cannot win the streaming wars given its current strategy. We believe. Um, but again, she has not been positive on this, no, stock, correct? No, she's been calling for the ad-supported tier for, for years now. Yeah. Uh, but this this new series of suggestions of getting into sports and news, buying a library, or option four, sell. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I don't know what you're defining winning the streaming wars is. I mean, you're kind of in the lead. You have the biggest market uh, share. If it just means you're going to dominate, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, doesn't she like Roku or has historically, you know, as a way of essentially saying, like, that's going to be some kind of a hub for streaming. Is ad supported. It's everything running through this thing. And you can just benefit from the overall growth in the air, in, right. in the ecosystem. Right. I, I still continue to believe at some point some of the lesser players are going to find a lot more pressure from their yeah. shareholders the other way, saying, man, maybe this direct-to-consumer exactly. is not working as well as we'd hoped because you are consuming a lot of capital without much return. Yeah. Morgan Stanley trims Disney today to 170. They were at 185. They think there might be some risk to international subs. Uh, a reminder, you can get in on the CNBC Investing Club with Jim Cramer. You can sign up and find out more at cnbc.com slash join the club or just use the QR code on your screen. Before we go to break, uh, let's watch bonds. As we uh, said earlier, uh, two-year did get to 133 uh, this morning. That's the highest since February 2020. And the 10-year just south of 193. Be right back. Well, the others look to the metaverse and Mars. Let's stay here and restore ours. Yeah, it's time to blaze our trail. Because the new frontier, it ain't rocket science. Right here. Salesforce, that's its Olympic ad, uh, Super Bowl ad, taking uh, uh, aim at Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg when it comes to the metaverse. Speaking of Super Bowl ads, NBC says it sold out for Sunday's big game with some 30-second spots selling for $7 million. Of course, that is our parent company. Should be a good game if it's anything like the last couple of weeks of the playoffs. Wow. For sure. Uh, doubled in a decade is the price of, a, of an ad, just about. So three and a half million, I think they said was 2012. Um, so what is that? Is that 7% annualized growth? It's pretty yeah. good for, for television, which is supposed to be in decline. <laughs> exactly. yeah. It's the NFL, though. Yeah. NFL's not television. It's no, the exactly. NFL. It's, it's, it's just kind of taking advantage of being the, uh, the last bankable thing. Yes. The last thing that can aggregate real viewership. And you got a return, I think, uh, Anheuser-Busch coming back after a couple years yep, away. Ring the bell this morning. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I do think it's it's somewhat amusing, you know, Salesforce, you know, it, consumer ads, the whole thing. You know, I mean, it's, obviously it's branding. It, it's not just, uh, you know, looking for, for point of sale <laughs> activity. People at home are going to get a, a Salesforce subscription. But it is kind of an interesting uh, way to, you know, distinguish themselves right. from the... Uh, interesting to see they have people back in the, the office because Salesforce, of course, not going to have anybody back in the office if you sure. don't want to be. And Benioff's not been a real return to office proponent? No, no, not at all. Yeah, not it's interesting. All. I mean, I guess, you know, you could probably play it both ways in terms of how their business is leveraged with Slack and everything else. And 
you know, they could certainly do remote, but they also, you know, named a couple of massive skyscrapers in two different cities after themselves. So. Yes, empty. Yeah. These beautiful empty skyscrapers. Yeah. Plus the Pepsi halftime show. Uh, we'll get Pepsi earnings on Thursday and probably get some guidance as to what kind of value they see yeah. in that audience. When we come back, uh, how to answer questions about crypto on your tax return. Meantime, Bitcoin and some other cryptocurrencies are on the rise. You got a two-week high on uh, BTC, back above uh, 43.4. I'll be right back. How should you answer crypto-related questions on your tax forms? For that, we'll go to our Robert Frank. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Mike. Well, this is a key question for the more than 20 million Americans who own crypto, and it can have a big impact on their tax bill. It's actually the first question you see on the 1040 form, and it asks, at any time during 2021, did you receive, sell, exchange, or otherwise dispose of any financial interest in any virtual currency? Now, if you answer yes, you're required to report all your crypto sales and trades on a different form and, of course, pay the necessary taxes. But because the question says receive, many investors who bought crypto last year and held it assume they have to answer yes. But in separate guidance, the IRS says if you just purchase crypto with real currency, i.e. dollars, and you didn't sell, you can actually answer no. So here are the basics on how you should answer this question. First of all, you can answer no if you simply bought crypto with dollars or received it as a gift. You must answer yes if you sold crypto, used crypto for a purchase, including an NFT, received crypto from mining or staking, or traded one token for another, say Bitcoin for Ether. All of these are taxable events in the eyes of the IRS and must be reported. Even if you don't owe any taxes, failure to report your holdings can be seen as tax fraud by the IRS. Now, guys, starting in 2023, crypto exchanges will have to start reporting all of their customer holdings. So, Carl, it's going to be harder to hide. But clearly, the IRS struggling to keep pace with this fast-changing industry, NFTs, crypto, the metaverse, all of it. We're going to talk about it a lot more in the coming weeks uh, with your help, Robert. That's appreciate that. Robert Frank uh, talking about tax season and crypto. Really quick, just on some... Um Auto uh, a business, uh, Ford cutting production once again at about eight North American uh, factories this week uh, because of the chip shortage. Got this uh, annual filing out of Tesla yeah. where they talk about the value of their crypto holdings and also an update on uh, SEC subpoenas regarding to that settlement they had long ago. Yeah, took a little bit of a loss, uh, again, mark to market on the, uh, on the crypto. Uh, all the stocks are, you know, they're down 20, 30 percent. That includes GM and Ford off their high. So there was that sort of big rush of excitement into, you know, wanting to value the EV businesses. And, you know, obviously things are going to clear a little bit this year. Demand seems fine. But uh, now it's interesting that everybody is, is, is rooting, in a sense, for car prices to come down, new end use, because that's going to be, you know, the big driver in CPI, uh, you know, on Thursday and beyond. We, we've got a piece on our website. Used cars, one to three years old. Um, Average cost down 2% from early January. Yeah. Uh, as you've got from GM, a massive, you know, spike, but yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, GM guided, if you remember, uh, wholesale deliveries up 20% for the year. So we look forward to those yeah. prices may be coming down. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, 
but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.